0: People who are wordsmiths, poets, are incredible people. For me, I'm a Neanderthal. Jesus is awesome. That's kind of what I bring to the table, right? That's the end. But what's interesting about people who are artists, people who are poets, people who are songwriters and musicians, they have this way of captivating in capturing not just truths that we know logically in our head, but the, like the deeper truths, the inner truths, the, the core of our guts, they have a way to bring that out. And I love artists. I wanted to be an artist. When I was in college, I went to the University of California at Santa Barbara, whoop, and um, I wanted to be an artist, and so my senior year, I took art all senior year after I finished my major. I did everything from ceramics to dance appreciation to mime to painting, and I struggled at all of it. And I had this realization that in my soul I'm an artist, I just haven't found my medium. And my medium is really to consume it. That's where I've landed. (laughs) So I cannot create art. If I, uh, Jesus is awesome. That's the best I bring to the table. But artists are the ones who help inform and shape and stir in me and stir in us a depth of the human experience, and even more so when it comes to our faith. Blake Ossaby is a, is a young adult in our congregation. He lives with us right now. He painted this painting. And, uh, and I went and had lunch with him, and I picked his brain. And he's just, he, he, he presents as a normal person, but when you start asking him questions about his art, all of a sudden you're like, Whoa. Like the way in which he engages the world and thinks about the world and the way he wants to express the world. And if you talk to him about this painting, your mind is going to be blown. You're going to be like, oh my goodness, what is going on there? Because an artist has a way of tapping into the depth of an experience. I can say, go from point A to point B, but an artist can tell you the depths of who you are and you can feel that movement. My mom, she's a published poet. She's incredible. She's a wordsmith. She's so horrified that I'm her son that I get to publicly speak and my grammar's awful and I can't. I end uh, sentences with prepositions. I think that's a thing, right? I don't even, like, I'm just, it's an atrocity. My mom shakes her head. But she's a poet, and it's incredible what poets can do. Is right, They can take words, and with just a few lines, a few syllables, they can communicate something that taps into the depth of who we are. It is incredible, and we thank God for, po- for artists and poets. I thank God for artists and poets, because I am not an artist. I am not a poet. I am a Vulcan. I can get from point A to point B, and sometimes I can look at a picture and think that's beautiful. But artists... They tap into who we are, and even more so when it comes to our faith, they actually help us not just know about who God is, they allow us to feel and to experience and to shape the innermost part of who we are. And so this summer, we are going to take a look at the, at the scriptures, the Psalms, and the Psalms are a group of, uh, of poems. I lobbied for a different group of poems. My favorite book of poetry in the Bible is The Song of Solomon. That is an epic book in the Bible. That is a book in the Bible which I read in one sitting when I was in fifth grade. When I
1: <laughs>
0: There's no reading plan needed for that one. I lost out. So if you want to talk about poetry and love, John Legend, Song of Solomon, maybe we'll do that next summer, Jeff, or I'll do a, se- a series on that. <laughs> but we're not doing Song of Solomon, we're doing the Psalms, which is it will be great too. So this summer, that's what we're going do. We're going to read through all the Psalms. And really what the Psalms are is they are poetry. They're songs. They're they're what artists have written to express and to communicate the depth of the human experience. But not just the depth of the human experience. The depth of the human experience shaped and formed by God. All the Psalms are God-centric in their writing. Now, the Psalms were written over hundreds of years, were written by you know, many authors. We know five of them are listed, but think they think that just dozens and dozens of people wrote them. And when the, when the Israelites went off to Babylon, they came back from Babylon, they collect them into what we have now is known as the Psalms. And the Psalms were basically the music and the words and the language of the worship during the Second, during the second Temple period. And it was, the, it was the Psalms that Jesus would have had that would have shaped and informed His worship as well. And this um, summer, that's what we're going to do. We are going to read the Psalms. And our hope for you, and my hope for me, because like I said, I'm a Vulcan. I don't know my emotions. I don't, I, it's so hard to tap into that emotional side of me. And so for me, my prayer is simply to go, okay, God, what do you have to say? Not just to my head this summer, but what do you have to say to my heart and to my guts? And can I really go slow enough? Can I really submit myself to the process enough to allow you, the Holy Spirit, to take my entire being, and not just intellectually think that Jesus is awesome, but to have my entire being lean into and experience and honor the truth and the reality that Jesus is awesome. There's this great quote I found on this this blog, uh, Desiring God website, Uh, and this this is what this author says about the Psalms. It says, they are psalms, songs, and poetry. They're musical, and the reason human beings express truth with music and poetry is to awaken and express the emotions that fit the truth. Let me read that again. They're musical. And the reason human beings express truth with music and poetry is to awaken and express the emotions that fit the truth. We, many of us come to church and we can believe in our head. We believe all sorts of things in our head. But music and poetry, it stirs our hearts. So now our emotions actually tap into that and lean into that. I found with my wife, when I sit and I look at her with my mean face and my no smile, I say, I love you. I'm committed to you. Life is all good. It doesn't seem to have the same impact than if I like, lean in and have a soft face and, and I, you know, we have a glass of wine and I actually give her some specifics about how much I love her and appreciate her and what she's doing. Like, all of a sudden, like, my, my heart is in it. And all of a sudden, there's this relational connectedness that is different than the truth of the truth that i love my wife right i love my kid i love god and so music poetry is the tool that god has used since the beginning of time we're wired that way god even says in zephaniah right that he sings songs like that's weird that god would be a being that god created music to be about worship and interaction and joy and so that's what we're going to do. We are going to look at poetry as a, as a means for transformation. And it's going, to be a, it's going to be a challenge for me, maybe for some of you, because I hate poetry. It is hard. I don't get it. Um, but we're going to lean into that this summer and see what God might not only have to say to our heads, but say to our hearts, and even more what our hearts might get to do in response to that. Okay, so with all that being said, we're going to jump into Psalm 146. Um, it's not my favorite psalm, but I think it's a psalm that kind of gives a good overarching uh, sense of what happens within the psalm so grab the bible in front of you and let's turn to psalm 146 and we'll jump into our time together psalm 146 says this praise the lord praise the lord my soul i will praise the lord with all of my life i will sing praise to my god as long as i live Do not put your trust in princes and human beings who cannot save. When the Spirit departs, they return to the ground, and on that very day their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and of earth, the sea and everything in them, and remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free and the Lord gives sights to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow and he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. Amen and amen. Okay, so we're going to jump right into the psalm and we're going to look at a couple of the main themes that happen in this psalm. And they actually happen in almost all of the psalms. And the first, it begins with this in verse 1 and 2. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord with all of my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I shall live. And like I mentioned earlier, the psalms are a God-centric way to communicate. There there are songs and poetry not just about the human experience, but they are rooted in that God is the center. And not just God, not just generic God, not just spiritual God, but Yahweh. When it says, praise the Lord. In fact, anywhere in scripture when it says Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's not the Hebrew word Adonai. It's the Hebrew word um, Yahweh. Now, Yahweh is the name of God that was given to Moses, right? When, he, when Moses says, who am I going to tell send me? He says, tell them I am sent you. Tell them Yahweh sent them. The name of the Lord. That is God's name. And a lot of times, especially in our context, we think of, um, of God as, you know, as he's invisible. So we make him into whatever we want. But by recognizing that, the, that God has a name, God is a specific person that God had revealed himself in a very specific way, and he revealed himself as the name Yahweh, revealed to Moses. It is Yahweh who is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It's Yahweh who rescued the people of God out of Israel. It is Yahweh who met with Moses on Mount Sinai and established a covenant with his people. It is Yahweh who established David as the king over Israel and said through David's line, there's going to be a king who's going to live forever. It is through Yahweh who spoke through the prophets. And it is Yahweh who set up this entire priestly order so that us stupid human beings who are sinful and wretched would have ways to have access to him. And it is Yahweh who came to earth As a human in the form of Jesus Christ, to clarify once and for all who God is, what God's about, to die on the cross for our sins, to separate that so that sin that separates us would be gone forever. So that Jesus, Yahweh in the flesh, is our true prophet, priest, and king. So when you see the word Lord, it's not imaginary God, it's not spirit God. The God that we're talking about is the God that revealed Himself in Scripture. And it is Yahweh who is the high king forever. And so the question is, well, then how do we respond? If this is who God is, well, all throughout the Psalms, the response is, how do you interact with the the great high king? Well, you worship him. That is the correct response. You worship the king. You serve the king, right? There's a psalm that says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a servant at your door, at, um, at the gate, than to be anywhere else. We recognize that the Psalms help recognize where do we fit in the great big world? Well, it's true. There's psalms that say, what is, what is humans that God is mindful of us? Like, we're the apple of God's eye. There's psalms that talk about our human dignity, so that's not what I'm saying. But our human dignity and our human value is shaped, and it's in the context of who God is, the great high king. And our response, I will praise the Lord all of my life. And how do we do that? I will sing praise to my God as long as I shall live, because there's something about singing and I have to like, I admit, singing, worship music, those things are not naturally in me. But even, that, even someone who's not naturally wired that way, there's a way that music shapes us and changes us and gets in us. And all of, all of humans, all of God's people, all of Christians since the beginning of time have recognized that we worship God with song. He's the king. How do you worship him? Through song. Okay, so one, Yahweh, he's the high king over all of creation, That is in all the Psalms. Next it goes on and it says this, Do not put your trust in princes and human beings who cannot save, for when the Spirit departs, they return to the ground. And on that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. So Yahweh, who is the great king forever, um, the great high king, he's also the king who lives forever. And that's helpful for us to know. When God sees us, we think, man, this week is so long. This month is so long. This season of my life is so long. This year is so long. The last 40 years are so long. That's not how God sees the world. God lives forever. Forever. Like, can you even get your mind around that? And so He is the Great High King who lives forever. So He's saying to us, and it's, it says this over and over in the Psalms, the things that you put your trust in, they're temporary. They're gonna to return to dust. Don't put your trust in the things that are just gonna disappear one day. In 100 years, no one is gonna remember you. In 200 years, that is for dang sure. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. And what a heartbreaking time that we live in, that we are so about instant gratification. And every single thing that we do is about this moment. And if this thing happens, it is going to ruin our life forever. Or if this thing happens, it's going to save us forever. And the Psalms remind us that, you know what? This election cycle, it doesn't matter. This economic downturn, it doesn't matter. This tragedy that happened in my my personal life, it matters to me. But in the great scheme of things, like I said, in 200 years, everyone has moved on. It is crazy. So the the Psalms overwhelmingly say, do not put your trust in earthly things, in earthly people, but in the God who lives forever. I came across this really interesting historical tidbit that I thought was just funny because I've never heard of these people. So Nicholas Biddle, have you heard of him? No? You have. All right. Of course you have. In 1830, Nicholas Biddle, you know, he he was the president of the Second National Bank of the United States the second one. And uh, Alexander Hamilton, you've probably heard of him because there's a play and everyone's all excited about that right now. Well, Alexander Hamilton, he hated the banking system. Nicholas Biddle was the president of that. And uh, in 1830, that was a really big political issue. Slavery was a bigger one. That happened a couple years later. But in 1830, it was the National Bank. And people went crazy about it. And uh, there's this guy, I keep forgetting his name, Spencer Pettis. Spencer Pettis, he's a Missouri congressman. And he hates the banks. He was so mad about the banks. And what he did is he got into this feud with Nicholas Biddle and they got in this huge word war and they were slinging the meanest insults at each other. I mean, it got so bad. At one point, um, Spencer Pittle said, you know what? You are like a dish of skimmed milk. (laughs) Well, that was too much for, for Nicholas to handle. And so his brother Thomas said, you cannot talk to my brother that way. And so one day, uh, Spencer, who's the congressman, he was sick, and, uh, Th- and Nicholas' brother Thomas goes into the hospital and beats him with a whip. Well, he's like, that's not going to happen. We're talking about the banking system here. We've got to solve this like men. And so what do they do? They go out to, this, uh, to the edge of town and they have a duel. Old school, you know, you cock a gun, you take five paces. But the deal is, um, Spencer Pettis, he's nearsighted. He can't see that well. So he said, you know what? Instead of five paces, let's do five feet. So that means you turn around and your gun is basically pointing to the gun right there. So what do you think happened? Yeah, they both died. So they take for the sake of the banking system in 1830. It's kind of a silly little story. And what's wild is those guys had families, had lives. They were so spun out, so stressed out about something that now, almost 200 years later, we're like, well, whatever you think about the Federal Reserve, I can't even get my head around it, but it mattered really much to those guys, and they died over it. Like, it is wild. And there's billions of stories of that, right? Because there's billions of human beings. And You just think of how much weight, how much effort, how much we get spun up over things that are all going to turn to dust. It's not saying that we don't care about things right now. It's not saying that we invest in the things that God has put in front of us. But the Psalms remind us where to put the decimal point. And the decimal point is rooted in a God who is the king forever. And what I love about the Jewish story is these weren't just Psalms to help in in their moment of, 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 of chaos or in their moment of hardship. The whole Jewish story is that they were slaves for over 400 years. Right? They wandered in the desert for forty years. Um, Moses, you know, he wandered. He, he was he wandered for forty years before God called him again. Um, you know, there was times when they were in exile. There was times between uh, the testaments where there's like three or four hundred years where God didn't show speak the way that He spoke to in the prophets. You know, Jesus is, He came, but then He hasn't come again in over two thousand years. And what are we supposed to do? And so, the human story, the Jewish story, is that time is very long. And we need to recognize that we're not the center. God is the center. God's trajectory, God's story, what God is doing is what matters. And we need to come into that. So we, we worship God, the high king, and we worship the king who lives forever. It goes on to say this in verse six. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. And he remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind, and the Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous, and the Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the ways of the wicked. You know what's incredible is throughout all of Scripture, in Deuteronomy and Leviticus and the Psalms, it is in the very nature of God to care about the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized. Like, it is in His DNA. And what's funny is because we're made in the human—we're made in the image of God, it is in humans. Like, think about even the most awful human being still offers mercy at some point. Like, there's something about humans. We hate bullies. We want to bully. We want our things. But when we see people bullying, there's something that rises up in all humans because we are made in the image of God. Jesus continues in this tradition because he's Jewish and he is God, that he recognizes that God's heart is for the oppressed and Jesus' heart is for the oppressed, which means if you are going to be a follower of Jesus, then you, your heart should be tuned for the poor and the oppressed. In Matthew chapter 25, he tells the story of the sheeps and the goats. And basically the, the, he, he tells this whole parable saying that, you know, whatever you do to the least of these, to those in prison, to those who are poor, to those who are naked, how you treat those people— It's not just do a good job because I want you to do a good job. He says, whatever you do to them, you're doing to me. So if you overlook, if you step on or step over, you're overlooking stepping on, stepping over Jesus himself. When you care for, when you see, when you recognize the human dignity and care for them, you're doing that not because Jesus wants you to, but because you recognize that you're doing that to Jesus himself. That's the way in which Jesus wants us to see. In Luke, 20, in Luke 14 talks about there's a parable of the banquet table. He says you don't just throw a big party for all your friends, but when you throw a party, when you have a banquet, you invite the people in the alleys, the lame, the crippled, the blind, the people that society has overlooked. We as Christians, as followers of Christ, if we are going to be followers of Christ, then we not only have to have our hearts tuned, we actually have to put in action the things to care for those people. And what's funny is we as human beings, we do this all the time. There are people that we look to and we admire, and because we look to them and we admire them, we actually change because of them. Right? Uh, one of the guys, the young guys in our church, Luke Hoy, he, uh, he's incredible. He's, he's my avatar. He's, I wish I could be him. He's only 23, but he's kind and he loves God. He's ripped. But those things don't even matter. <laughs> he, uh, he surfs. He's a foodie. He knows what good bourbon is. And I'm like, how do you know all this at 23? Teach me. And what's interesting is all of a sudden, my, like, I recognize I want to be like Luke. I want to be around him. And when I'm around him, my heart is turned. And, uh, and, and it actually changes me because I want to be closer to him. Like, now all of a sudden, I like, want to know, what kind of music do you like? What do you read? He's like, I'm 23, man. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. So, so that's just the guy that I admire. But what's interesting is I also know there's things in me that I need to change. Um, I, I'm, I'm mean. I'm mean-spirited. I'm spirited. I'm cynical. My jokes can be not good and not kind at all. Um, I always think they're funny, but they always seem to make people cry. I'm learning that. And, um, and about five years ago, I made a joke that made a friend of mine cry who was an adult man, so you, that was the level of the joke. <laughs> I thought it was a great joke. And, um, but God showed up to me, and I recognized there's this thing in me that is fundamentally broken. And this friend of mine who I made cry I realized the way in which this friend of mine knows and loves God, the way in which he lives his life, the way in which God wired him, I want that in my life. And I didn't just say, hey, Jeff, tell me what to do. Hey, Jeff, write down a a prescription of all the things I need to do so I can be more like you. What I did is I said, well, Jeff, I need time with you, so every week we're going to spend an hour and a half and go for runs or hikes or walks just because I need to be with you. And what's wild is over the last four or five years, like God has used my friendship with Jeff to actually change my heart, to tune my heart. And he's, like God has fundamentally changed and transformed some stuff in me because I recognize that's someone I want to be like, and I actually put myself in a situation to be with him. And the same is actually true in our walk with God. God's invisible, but he's relational. He made us to be with him and to interact with him. And if we're going to have the same heart as the heart of God, we can't just go, oh, I learned that in my head, the end. We have to put ourselves in a position to be with God, to be near God, to allow the Holy Spirit of God to change us and transform us. And we know that's happening, not because we're getting more and more self-righteous. We know that's happening because we are becoming more and more like God. Our heart is tuned towards the things of God. We see the margins. We care for the margins. Our heart is broken for the margins. And then finally, it says this, The Lord reigns forever. Your God O Zion for all generations. Praise the Lord. What I love about almost all of the Psalms is they begin with this declaration of who God is, and then they end with a declaration of who God is. And there's a lot of Psalms where there's a lot of lamenting. Please do not hear that. We just need to take all of our pain, all of our sorrow, climb it way down and praise Jesus. That's not what the Psalms do. The Psalms simply take all of that emotional pain, all of that hurt, and they just put us into the story of God, into the presence of God, recognizing the character of God. And so what, what, what I love about the end of the Psalms is the Psalms rehearse the truth. It's a rehearsal. It's, it's like a memorizing. It's, it's a reminding. And we're so we have such short memories, and we need to lengthen our memories. And the way we do that is rehearsing the truth. We practice that God, that Yahweh is our king. He's our rescuer, our hope. That Yahweh is our king, our rescuer, and our hope. And we practice and we practice and we rehearse and we rehearse. I love this little picture of these girls doing ballet practice, right? Like, they, like it is so fun if you've ever seen little kids, if you've ever gone to a little show with the little ballet kids and they're all trying it out. Well, it's a disaster and it's a circus. And watching all the practice getting there, you see them trying it and learning it over and over again. And then you go to the Civic Center and you see these little girls on the big stage and you're like, oh, it's so precious. And then those girls who who figured out, right, they go more and more and more. And what us normal people who consume art get is we go, oh, this is great. We only see the final product and our hearts are stirred and we think this is beautiful. But the people who produce that art, the people who actually put that together, the great artists, the great painters, the great poets, the great dancers, they are great because day in and day out they are practicing their craft. And we as followers of Christ in the same way have to day in and day out practice our craft, we need to rehearse the truth that our hope and our faith and trust is in Yahweh, the great king who lives forever, whose heart is for the oppressed and the broken. For he's our king and he's our rescuer and he's our hope. Now, it's really embarrassing having to talk about art and beauty and then having to be the one to kick this off. But I wanted to share with you a song uh, that I came across a, a couple months ago. There's this, um, this songwriter, Andrew Peterson, and uh, he is an b- incredible storyteller, an incredible musician, an incredible songwriter, and he has these albums that, um, that walk through like the Easter story or the Christmas story or parenting, and it's just, oh, I, it's great. It's kind of Gen X music, so I, you might not be into it, but I get the mic and you are sitting there, so you're going to be subjected to that. Um, but what I wanted to do is I just wanted you to just sit and, and listen. And, and this, this song, I feel like, sums up. It's like what a psalm is it recognizes who God is, it recognizes who God is in the grand story of things, it recognizes our human longing that that is not the way the world is, it recognizes God's plan for redemption and restoration and God's longing to bring us along in it. And I just think it's a beautiful, um, artistic way to express that, that actually, if we allow it, taps into the deeper parts of who we are, which then informs our whole being. So we aren't just people who know and love God in our head, but we're people whose entire beings are tuned to the person of God. I hope you enjoy this song.
1: feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? Good that we remind ourselves Truly love us? He does the Spirit move among us? He and does Jesus, our Messiah, hold forever those he loves? he loves? Does our God intend to dwell again? In
0: I think there's something really incredible that God Yahweh, the creator of all of heaven and all of earth made human beings in his image to be in relationship with us, to be people who get to partner with him in creation, in the that's kind of, well it doesn't bother you I guess but he gets to partner with us, we get to partner with him in the restoration and the establishment of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven And my prayer for myself, my prayer for us as a church is that we would be people who would lean in to who God is, that we would be people of faith. Not just people of an intellectual faith, but people with our very, the very core of our being love God, long to be like God, long to have a heart for the things that God has a heart for and to be used by him to bring grace and mercy to a world that is in desperate, desperate need of it. And as we wrap up our time, we're going to spend some time at the table and we're going to respond in worship. I would just invite you as you come to be slow, to taste the bread, to taste the juice, to read the words, to sing the songs, and allow the artists in the Christian community who've created beautiful things Allow them to minister to us as we long to lean into all that God has for us.